Good morning. I invite our students, age two through four, to be dismissed at this time to Toddler Nursery and Children's Church. Those who remain in the sanctuary, if you would, please turn to Psalm chapter 28. Psalm chapter 28. Psalm 28, beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Requite them according to their work and according to to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of His hands. He will tear them down and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord because He has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults, and with my song I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength, and he is a saving defense to his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also, and carry them forever. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for the hope and the peace that it brings. Father, thank you for the challenge and the conviction that it also brings. Father, this morning, let today be a time of both examination of ourselves and an exaltation of you and your glory and your kindness toward us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we continue our series together, Songs for Our Savior, We see this morning that Jesus is our strength and our shield. Jesus is our strength and our shield. David once again turns to the idea of calling out to the Lord. To you, O Lord, I call, verses 1 and 2. And notice the the interesting request that David makes. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me. Now, just for kicks, just for fun this morning, is Jehovah deaf? This is the easiest pop quiz you'll ever take in your whole life. Congratulations, everyone who said no. You got an A, you pass. Get a star on your chart. That's great. Jehovah's not deaf. He's not like the other gods. In fact, The prophets at different times when they were engaging cultures that had other deities or when they were challenging Israel when they had moved to worship other deities, this was often part of the conversation. Our God is not like the false gods made of stone and of wood who has ears but cannot hear and has eyes but cannot see. And we kind of walk through all of the different engagements that are there. But this is sort of a recurring theme. Our God is not deaf. He hears all. He sees all. Yet, in Isaiah 59, flip over there with me just real quick. Flip over to Isaiah 59. 
Behold, Isaiah 59, verse 1, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull, so dull that it cannot hear. It's not deaf. However, but your iniquities, the iniquities of the people, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He's not deaf. There are just times he chooses not to listen. We need to note the difference. We need to note the difference. Why is it that David is calling out at the beginning of this psalm for God not to be deaf to him? Because David understands that he is a sinful man. And his sin should separate him from his God so that he hides his face from him and does not hear him. When David is calling upon the Lord to not be deaf, he's not talking about something in the character of God, some flaw in God, some limitation in God, something that would make God like a false God, some incapacity in the Lord. No, he understands that God is sovereign and that God is all-powerful and that God is all-knowing and that God is ever-present, that He is the only one true great God of existence and the universe, and that there is no God like our God. And because that is true, He is holy. And in His holiness, wicked, sinful, wretched, broken man cannot enter into His presence the way He should be able to. So when David asked God not to be deaf, He's saying a lot less about God and a lot more about David. God, I know you hear me, even though you shouldn't. Be that kind of God for me. Be the kind of God who hears me in spite of myself. This is a cry of brokenness on David's part. Listen as he continues. If you are silent towards me, I'll be like those who go down to the pit. I'll be like those who are separated from your covenantal love. I will be like those that have not received your mercy. I will be like those who have not received your grace. I will be like those who are not marked out as your people. I will be like those who are only marked by their sin. God, don't don't let me be that kind of person. Hear the voice of my supplications. Hear my supplications. What is a supplication? A supplication is a plea for mercy. David is starting this entire psalm out acknowledging that he needs the mercy of God. Hear my plea for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, David says, in the midst of my worship, even in the midst 
of my worship because he's lifting up his hands toward God's holy sanctuary. Even in the midst of my worship, I acknowledge my sinful, broken condition. And then look at what David does. He wants God to separate him from the wicked. Notice what he says in this song, in this cry, in this plea to God for mercy. Do not drag me away with the wicked. That that is very graphic and aggressive language. It's very graphic and aggressive language. You know, a lot of times when we think about the judgment of God coming down on the wicked, it's usually a pretty sanitized picture. You know, the the wicked come and stand before God at a great throne judgment, and he declares their sins to them, and he declares their names not written in the book of life, and they're cast off into judgment and destruction, and it's all just very uh, courtroom-like. It's all very sanitized. And that's a Western mind at work. It's a Western mind at work. We, we view justice in the sense of a judge and order and law and structure. And there he is. He said, stand up, guilty, okay, cuff him, walk him out. You know, everybody, get, everything's real calm. No. This is a picture of a rebellious enemy against a mighty king. There, there's nothing sanitized about this. The picture is more of the king being on his throne and declaring victory over his enemies and the enemy attempting to justify himself, the enemy attempting to declare why he should be able to be the way that he is. No repentance, no remorse, still this angst and animosity against the king. The king having demonstrated himself to be compassionate and merciful and kind, and yet this enemy persisting in his animosity against the goodwill and the glory of the one true king. All of this is already unsettling for Western Americans. Because we don't like the idea of a king, a sovereign king, a completely absolute authoritative king to start with. That's why we are American and not English. And so we have this absolute sovereign king whose authority must be yielded to with no limitation and a rebel heart that desires to do only what that heart desires and cares not about the glory of that king. And we stand guilty before this just magnificent, glorious, honorable, sovereign king. And we scream our curses out at that king. And the very breath we use to scream those curses at that king is breath he is supplying for us to breathe. 
And when it comes time for the judgment, it's not a dismissal. It's a grabbing of the hair of the enemy onto the floor, to the foot of the king and elsewhere in the Psalms and other places in the Scripture. It's the picture of the king pressing his foot down on the neck of his enemy, declaring his victory over them. There's nothing sanitary about what David is talking about here. Do not drag me away with the wicked. And by the way, friends, in this context, they were not being drug away to a prison cell to get three square meals a day cable and a law degree, which is also a very sanitized version of American justice, by the way. They were being drug away to their death. There was no life sentence here. There was no king that would just let you happily live out your days in isolation for treason and rebellion. They were being drug away to their death. Don't, don't let me go down to the pit. If, you, if, if, you, if you're silent toward me, I'll be like those who go to the pit. Don't drag me away with the wicked. This is a terrifying cry from the heart of David, recognizing and acknowledging the full fury of God's wrath against sin. Don't treat me as those who work iniquity. Don't treat me as those who speak peace with their neighbors while they still have evil in their hearts. Make me different from them. I know I am like them. God, make me different from them. I can't do anything to separate myself from being a part of that group. God, you must separate me from that group. He's calling out to God for mercy. He's longing for God to change him from the inside out. And then he calls for those who are this way to receive a just punishment. Requite them, pay them, reward them for their sin. For the wages, Paul carrying this language over into the New Testament, the wages, the requite, the reward for sin is death. Reward them for their sin. Why? Because, listen, listen, this is the great problem. You want to know the source of all great sinning, the source of all the problems that go with those who rebel against the Lord. Perhaps even you in this room today are in a place of rebellion against the Lord. It's laid out quite plainly. Why should God repay the sinner for their sin? Because they do not regard the works of God. The Lord. Listen, when you sin against other people, it's terrible. Because you're sinning against those who bear the image of God. That's why sin against other human beings is so severely treated in the Scripture and in the law. Because you're doing violence to those who bear the image of God. But even David, in his incident with Bathsheba and her husband, when he wrote his confessional psalm, said, Against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. Why? Because everything that happened in that event was David doing what? Not regarding the works of the Lord, nor the deeds of His hands. There are those who make argument that God's punishment against sin is too severe. 
an eternal judgment against a finite mortal creature. I can only live one lifetime, and yet I receive an infinite lifetime's penalty because of my sin against God. Clearly this is not just. Clearly this is not right. I always marvel when people make this argument because we already don't believe it in our own justice system. Someone goes into a school and guns down 20 children. And they go and they are declared guilty in a court of law. And they receive what? How many life sentences? 20 life sentences. Of course, they can only live out one of them. But they receive 20 life sentences. Why? Because that's justice. They extinguish 20 lives. So on paper, they need to pay for the 20 lives that they extinguish. None of us bats an eye at this. That's justice. Well, friends, what is it then for us to violate the person and work of God? How much of a penalty must we pay to recompense the infinite glory of God? What is it that causes the sinner to receive such severity from the hand of God? It is because they have not regarded the work of the Lord. They have exchanged the truth of God for that which is a lie, and the glory of the Creator for that of the creature. It is, as one great theologian used to call it, cosmic treason against the Most High God. And David is begging God to not have him counted among the number of those who are this way. Because David knows. David was a man of great introspection. David knows that his hands are not clean and that his heart is not pure. That he is by birth and by action a rebel against the things of God. And friends, that's a description of someone that the Scripture itself says he was a man after God's own heart. And yet he still knows the darkness of his own heart and the need for mercy that he has, and the severity of God's judgment against his sin. Please, God, separate me from the wicked. Now, notice what he says in verse 6, and this is beautiful, it's encouraging, it's hopeful. Christian, cling to this this morning. Blessed be the Lord. Why? Because he has heard the voice of my supplication. He hasn't turned a deaf ear to me. His face has not been hidden from me. My sin has not caused him to hear me. But instead I have called out to God in mercy. And God has heard my cry of mercy. And he has responded to me. Praise God. Praise God. 
Friend, there is no more joyous declaration in Scripture than that the holy God of heaven has heard the merciful cry of sinners. It's magnificent. And friends, when we are not moved by this, when we are not moved by a God who hears our merciful cry, there is one reason and one reason only. We do not view our sin to be great and therefore do not view God to be a great Savior. Which, friend, by the way, is a lie. For our sin is very great. Far greater than we can ever imagine. Spurgeon famously said, if you ever hear anyone speaking ill of you, do not let it bother you, for you are far worse than they have said already. And it's quite true. David cries out in joy, blessed, worshipped be the Lord. Why? Because He has heard my cry for mercy. And what has God become to me because of that? Because of my cry of mercy and His positive response to me, His love for me, His separating me from the sinners, His giving to me grace, His showing of me compassion, His demonstration of covenantal love toward me, what has the Lord become? He is my strength and my shield. Friends, that covers the whole gamut of warfare, by the way. Strength is your ability to act. Shield is your ability to have defense, your ability to wage war, your ability to resist war, all comes from the Lord. This is what He is for the people that He has shown mercy. And notice what David says about this relationship now. My heart trusts in Him. For David it was faith. My heart trusts. I have faith. Friend, I'm going to be straight with you. You will seldom see the glory of God in this life. You'll see it sometimes, but you'll seldom see it. Do you know what you'll normally see? Resistance, pain, sorrow, suffering, difficulty, internal warfare, external warfare, broken relationships, Crimson stain of sin running throughout the world. This is what you'll see. The dark thread of the wretchedness of human rebellion running throughout our lives. Breaking relationships. Breaking covenant with God. Giving us an imagination that drives us toward dark and wretched things. And what is God's call in the midst of all of that? Trust me. But I don't see it. Trust me. But I don't feel it. Trust me. But it's all falling apart. Trust me. 
friends, if you want to look at David's life, hiding in caves, engaging in civil war, having his own children try to rise up against him, enemies without, enemies within, his own struggles with sin, his struggles with the sins of others. You only have a handful of times in David's life where you have these overwhelming God-demonstrates-his-glory kinds of events. We could name several of them off easily. But if we really walk through the presentation of David's life to us, it was a life of struggle and difficulty and no clear view of how things were going to work out. What did David do? He said, my heart trusts in you. David couldn't always see how it was going to play out. But he trusted God. And because of that, listen to this therefore. I love it. Verse 7. Therefore, because you're my strength, because you're my shield, because you've heard my cry for mercy and have given it to me, because now, because of the work that you've done in me, my heart trusts in you and I, I know that I am helped by you, Therefore, that same heart exalts, it elevates, it sings praise, it worships you. I, and with my song, I will thank you, God. This is the picture of Paul chained in the prison singing praises to God. It's the picture of Peter doing something Similar. It's the same story of the great saints of the faith throughout the history of time. Staring at the worst possible circumstances and yet praising God for it. It's the classic line that John Piper gave all those years ago when he found out he was sick with cancer. And he said, I thank God for my cancer. That sounds crazy. Who does that? Who sings songs of praise in prison knowing that they are about to die possibly for the same songs that they're singing? Who does that? David did it. Paul did it. Peter did it. A host of saints throughout the ages have done it. My heart, my heart that is normally dark, my heart that is stony, my heart that is rebellious, my heart that is discontent, my heart that longs to separate myself from the glory of God and seek my own glory. This dark, twisted heart of mine that has been redeemed, the heart of stone has been removed, replaced with a heart of flesh, this heart now trusts you, and therefore because I trust you, my heart exalts the name of God. Years and years and years ago, early, early on in my time of ministry, I was at a church that rotated all the guys on staff to go and do hospital visits. And it was my day to go. And there was a lady whose child was very, very sick. Very sick. Probably not going to make it. Young child. Preteen. And I went and sat with her in the lobby for a few minutes that day. And she was just weeping, as would anybody, knowing that her child was about to die. Just weeping. And I'll never forget, 
She said, I'm in so much pain. And my heart is so sad. And I'm so very confused and conflicted in my spirit. But even though I don't see it, I know that God is good. I don't have any kids at the time. I didn't even know how to process what was happening in the environment in that moment. Even though I don't see it, I know that God is good. Okay. But David doesn't stop there. He then says, The Lord is their strength. A better possible translation is, The Lord is the strength of his people. The Lord is a saving defense to his anointed. A refuge of salvation, if you will. And then David calls out, Save your people and bless your inheritance and be their shepherd also and carry them forever. Friends, this morning, no matter what you're going through, doesn't matter. It could be the greatest thing. It could be the worst thing. It could be anything in between. No matter what you're going through this morning, the Lord is the Savior and the Shepherd of His people. Not He will be. Not we hope so. It's what He is. He is your Savior. He is your Shepherd. And for David to show the severity of the circumstance, notice how he talks about the work of the shepherd here. What does he say the shepherd does for them? Lead them, guide them, take them beside quiet waters, prepare a table in the presence of his... No, no, this is not that psalm. What does he say that the shepherd does savingly for his people? He carries them Forever. When did a shepherd carry a sheep? When it was hurt. When it was injured. When it was wounded. When it could not walk on its own. And for it to attempt to walk on its own would bring a danger to itself and the rest of the flock. It would slow them down too much and give the enemy too much access to all of them. So the shepherd and his love for that sheep and the whole flock would pick that sheep up and put it over his shoulders and carry that sheep until it was strong enough to walk on its own. And friends, hear this glorious truth. He carries us forever. I'm never strong enough to walk on my own. And thanks be to God, He's the kind of shepherd who knows that and will carry me always. (sighs) 
This is a heart-wrenching psalm. David starts knowing he needs God's mercy or he is lost. And David ends knowing he has received God's mercy and is forevermore saved. But at the front and the back end of it, he acknowledges one consistent thing about himself and one consistent thing about God. The consistent thing that David acknowledges about himself from start to finish is, I am broken and weak. I need to be carried or I will die. And what does he acknowledge about God? God is loving merciful, gracious, and strong enough to carry me so that I will not die. Friend, it doesn't matter what you're going through, what you've been through, what you're about to go through. God's mercy is superior in every way. He is our strength and she. Let's pray together.